talking about this. We're talking about being set free from uncontrollable anger. Uncontrollable anger. And this affects more of us than we would like to admit. Whether you're an expressive person who tends to blow up um, on people or whether you stuff it and it just simmers. Now, uh, before we get going, I want to say that in 2004, Dr. Tim Keller at Redeemer Church in New York City uh, preached a message called The Healing of Anger that so affected me, so taught me um, God's truth about anger that much of what I share this morning is thanks to his faithfulness to God's word. And so I want to give glory to God and thanks to Dr. Tim Keller. So why are we talking about anger on Father's Day? Have you ever had a dad? Have you? <laughs> no, no, not all dads. Not all dads are, are angry. Not all dads have that, but... Um, a lot of us struggle with that. So let's talk a little bit about anger and men and anger. And dads, the Apostle Paul thought men might struggle with anger because he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh. Don't be angry with them. Don't come home and blow up on your wife because you had a hard day at work. She probably did too, right? Don't blow up. Don't blow up at your wife because she's doing something. Maybe she vacuumed when you're watching the Bronco game or something like that, right? She's probably doing a better job than they are, right? And, and all of that. Do not, do not choose anger with your wife when there is ever another choice. And there is always another choice. Apostle Paul went on. He said, fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. Dads, don't raise angry kids. Don't raise angry kids because they learn how to be angry about absolutely everything from you. Don't let that be you. Don't raise angry children. But, you know, I'm not saying it's only men, it's only dads, moms and sisters and wives. They get angry too. They do. I grew up uh, in New York. I have this little four-foot-something mama who's going to be here in a couple of weeks. A little Italian lady, very meek. She's a nun now. But on this particular day, near Christmas, I had gotten her so angry. She had this plaster bust of the three kings that she held over my head, threatening to smash it. Right? She did not do it. But, but you know, we can all. There's something here for all of us. Uh, men, women, children, everybody. But men, God was particularly concerned about us and our anger. And culture seems to identify anger as the emotion that goes with uh, masculinity for some reason, right? Because you hear about the angry young man, right? An athlete, a male athlete that plays angry, a guy who has a chip on his shoulder, a business person or a worker who is always on edge. You don't want to cross that Please don't tell daddy. Please don't. Are you that guy? Right? Or, or the rageaholic that everybody tiptoes around because there's a stick of dynamite that is about to blow up. Or the cranky, angry old man. Right? Whatever it is. We got we to gotta keep it in check. We got to figure it out. So the first step, the first thing we're going to talk about is four things. First one 
It's anger is dangerous. It is dangerous. It has been called the dynamite of the soul, right? It blows stuff up. Anger will kill you physically, like literally. And the Bible tells us this in Proverbs. It says, he or she who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. And, and often in, in the Proverbs, you'll see it reworded in a different way. Here it is. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion, angry passion, right, is rottenness to the bones. It affects you physically in a bad way. 3,000 years after this is written, medical science is now catching up with what God has been telling us all along, that anger is one of the most toxic emotions for you to have. Anger, like anger issues, raise your blood pressure. It, it raises the likelihood you're going to have one of those widow-maker heart attacks, right, that just ends it all. It shortens your life. It, it will take you out. It is toxic. And when you and I lose it, we lose more than just it. We lose relationships. We lose reputation. Proverbs says this, a fool gives vent to his spirit, blows up. But a wise man, a wise woman, quietly holds it back. When you blow up, people think you're a fool. And you end up feeling afterward like a fool. Do you know why this is? Because you were a fool to get angry the way you get angry. And that's me. That's me. And that's some of you too. Anger is not only dangerous. It's not only toxic. It's not only foolish. It's addictive. Of all the emotions, anger is most like a substance addiction for a number of reasons. One, because it gives us a certain feeling of power and superiority that we like. And we often deny that we're, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Yes, you are. Yes, you, you know this person, right? And so anything that we deny, we can repeat with stunning regularity. We can harbor it. It becomes the undercurrent of our minds and our hearts and our thoughts and our words and our feelings. And here, here's, here's what Proverbs says. A man, a woman, a great anger will bear the penalty. We see the, see the pain again, right? For if you rescue him, you pull him, you pull her out of this, you will only have to do it again. And the subtext is, and again, and again, and again, because it's addictive. And so you rarely see somebody who has an anger where it doesn't become so habitual that it is almost an addictive quality. Anger, now before we go too far, it is dangerous, but it is not a bad thing in and of itself. We have to draw that distinction. Letting anger control you either because you don't really understand it or understand the roots of it in you or in other people or because you have anger issues and you need to be healed from the root cause of your anger that is a bad thing right but anger itself is not a bad thing but even if you have those conditions there's great hope for us there's great hope for us the second thing i want us to take a look at is this 
anger is not only dangerous, but anger can be what? Good. Anger can be good. Keller says there's a basic goodness to anger. The basic goodness is this, that, that anger in its, in its truest, purest form is love that is unleashed to respond and defend a threat to somebody or something that one loves, right? That's the response. It's, it's fueled out of love, right? In its purest form, anger is love unleashed to protect. And we see this in Jesus' life. Like, he wasn't always like sunshine and unicorns and smiles. and everything. He got angry, man, right? He went in there and, and, and turned over the tables and made wind. Like, nobody, nobody was coming against him. Hey, dude, no. You knew he was a force to be reckoned with. And he uncorked it, right? That was angry. He got angry at death. He got angry at the grave of Lazarus. He got angry at the, um, the liars, the, the church leaders, the, the, the hypocrites who were misleading his people, who were causing um, confusion and oppression and, and, and driving people far from him. He was angry. So anger is not sin in and of itself. God has anger. God just doesn't have anger issues. Like, we have anger issues, right? To be angry with the wrong things in the wrong way certainly is a sin. But get this. To not be angry when you ought to be angry is also a sin. Maybe one of the best summaries of anger comes from St. John Chrysostom. He wrote this. He or she that is angry without cause sins. He or she that is not angry when there is cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. Right? So there's, there's a balance. The truth is somewhere in the middle. And you see this in many families who, who, who want to not balance truth and grace, but they're all over on the gray side. You have eaten at restaurants next to this family that has never told their child no, right? Because they want their child to love them. That is not right. That's what he said. Unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. So, so we could sin by being angry about the wrong things. And we could sin by not being angry about the right things. And, 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 and that's what we want to look at. Paul says, be angry and don't sin. He says, you can be good and angry. You say, well, I got that covered. I've been good and angry. <laughs> no, what we mean there is I've been plenty angry. What Paul is saying is you can be good you can be pleasing to God and at the same time be angry. And that's good news for some of us, right? He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What did the devil got to do with it? Let's talk about that. He says, it's okay to, in the right circumstances, for the right things, in the right way, to be angry. Say, I got, I got, I got that part covered. I got that part covered. 
said, but don't sin. And one of the ways that you and I sin is that we hold it. We hold it. We harbor it. We nurture it. We don't forgive and let it go. I'm a pro at this. I don't want to be a pro at this. But, but we do because holding on to that offense can, can make us feel superior to the person that hurt us. Right? We, we hold it for a day or we hold it for a month of days or years of days. And we let it harbor and evil creeps in. Evil creeps in and, and causes us more problems. You know, this, there's this popular thing in popular culture where everybody gets to be the victim. Everybody wants to be the victim of something and something's wrong with them because somebody did them wrong. And I'm not, not knocking you if you're a victim, but now it's very fashionable to be a victim. And that might get some of you angry, but I want you to know. I want you to know that when you and I hang on to anger, that is exactly what we're doing. We like to be the victim of somebody else who did us wrong. And he says, if you do that, you're given an opportunity for the devil to come in and use those things and make your heart hard, make it bitter. So Sheree and I have this thing. We take this literally. We have stayed up till like two, three four in the afternoon the next day like we're not no 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 this is a thing like you know mock it but like she's renewing my contract 33 years you know um so i'm grateful but we don't we're not going to close our eyes we're not going to end our day if there's unfinished business with us and god there's unfinished business with with us and each other it doesn't matter how long it takes because the last thing we want to do is, is let that junk go over into the next day. We want to keep short accounts. That's what he's saying. If you're going to be angry, you're going to keep short accounts. Right? So, so here it is. Here he is. The goal is not no anger. It, just not anger that controls and blows up. Right? The goal is slow anger. Slow to anger. The way Keller says it, it's not no anger. Not no blow anger, but slow anger. Good way to remember. Okay? We don't want blow anger. We're not shooting for no anger. We're shooting for slow anger. He, she who is slow to anger. Circle that on your on your sheet. Slow to anger. Is better than the mighty. And he or she who rules their spirit. Is, is greater, that's what it means, than, than the person who captures a city. Being slow to anger is a spiritual superpower that God has placed inside you. Because it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's self-control. Slow to anger. We don't just make it reflexive. Right? Slow to anger is an attribute of God. Take a look. Psalm says the Lord is merciful and gracious. First choices to be merciful, to be gracious, slow to anger. Why? Because he's exhausting the mercy and the gracious, slow to anger. Why? Because he wants to by his love draw us all to repentance, to turn around, to come to him. 
You don't think God's saying, hey, hey, over here. No, he's going to give you mercy. He's going to show you grace. He's going to draw you with loving. Will he yell? Yes, because he would rather you be mad at him and come running than for you to be lost, because that's love. He said it's love-fueled anger. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. When Moses shows up, right? God shows up face-to-face with Moses. Exodus 34, Moses says to God, show me your glory. He says, I'm going to tell you my name. I'm the Lord God. What does he say next? Slow to anger. Slow to anger. But God does get angry. Right? And some of us have a problem with this. We say, I believe in a God of love, just love, not a God who gets angry. That's my sincere but sincerely wrong voice, right? So I believe in a God who loves. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mocking you, but okay, I am a little. But, but, but not a God who gets angry. Keller would say, and rightly so, that, that if you don't get angry, if you don't get angry, you don't love anything. If you don't get angry at anything, you don't love anything. And if God doesn't get angry about anything, you don't love anything. Anger is a love response to a threat against that which one loves dearly. There's an author, uh, Betty Pipper, who wrote this. I think it's great. She says, think about how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships? Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. I don't care. The more a father loves his son, the more he is angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in his son. And if I, she writes, a flawed, self-centered woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition that she loves, how much more a morally perfect God who made them. Good point, Betty. So how do we get anger wrong? Anger's dangerous. Anger can be good. How do you and I get anger wrong? The answer to that is this, disordered love disordered love because anger is a love response when it's threatened when our well let's go back a step this comes uh, and was enlightened this is all through scripture but saint augustine uh, helped uh focus this he said there are many things to paraphrase there are many lovely things in this world that ought to be loved that should be loved and you do well to love them but you and i our, our root problem is that we take good things and make them ultimate things. We love good things as if they were ultimate things. And when we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, that's a bad thing. So we will take good loves and make them ultimate loves. And when we do that, we take the ultimate love, which is Jesus Christ, and make him one of the garden variety other loves of our life. And that is very bad indeed. And because anger is a response that comes out of love when that thing is threatened, when we disorder our loves, we naturally disorder our anger. Makes sense, does it not? 
Disordered love leads to disordered anger. So we're going to look at this. And, and Keller says there are three ways that our anger gets disordered because our love is disordered. Here's number one. It's disordered in its causes. It's disordered in its causes. And we touched on this. when We said um, we're angry. We tend to be angry for ourselves, for our, those things which affect us. The things that hurt me, the things that slight me, I am not so angry. You may not be so angry about the injustices in the world, uh, uh, people who are oppressed and hurting and suffering. We don't get angry so much about that, right? For instance, you may get very hot and bothered if somebody snubs you right? They're, they're thanking people. They forgot you. They see you. They don't, they don't make a big deal about you. They dismiss you. You might get hot and bothered and very angry. Somebody cuts you off in traffic or, or takes advantage of you. You might get upset and angry if somebody promises you something. You did something for somebody. They don't do it back to you, right? They're, they don't show that same kindness back. That might get you very angry. That is I'm angry at what you did to me, right? But you and I may not be so angry, so bothered by the extreme poverty in our very town. That may not bother us. It may not bother us that scores and scores of beautiful, God-reflecting, God-loved people in our town are having their lives absolutely ravaged and wrecked by substance abuse, alcohol abuse, other kinds of addictions. That doesn't keep us up at night. That doesn't make us angry. We might not get angry or, or bothered by the fact that thousands, thousands upon thousands of people in our town, at our university, are struggling, trying to make sense of life without the source of life. That are living a Christless life and headed for a Christless eternity simply because they do not know how much God loves them or how much they need his love. Disordered in its causes. I get furious about what you do or don't do to me. I could really care less about the things that break God's heart in others. And, and that is what we're talking about. May I submit to you that if that is true of you, the way that I have been convicted, it is true of me, then our loves and our angers do not line up very well with the loves and the angers of God at all. At all. At all. Pastor Tony Campolo, I'm a big fan, um, many years ago, this church in Philadelphia tried to make this point that their loves were disordered. And he says to his church, he says, as we're, as we're standing here, as we're sitting here having this worship service, Philadelphia, thousands upon thousands of people outside our doors are, are starving to death. And here's the thing. Most of you don't give a crap. Except he didn't use that word. He used a different word. But I would get a lot of emails if I, you know, I may still. 
He says, see, here's the worst problem. Some of you are more concerned that I use that word in church than you are that thousands upon thousands of people are dying of starvation just outside our doors. And that's why we need to repent. That's what he said. That's not what I'm saying. He was making the case that disordered loves lead, lead to disordered anger. Disordered concerns. Number two, very short here. Disordered in its proportions. We get disordered in our proportions, which means we respond like here's a situation that calls for a two. We give it an eight, right? Like, you know, and it's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like love and grace and mercy. We got boundaries. We got guardrails. We got limits on that. Anger, no limit. No, so not only disordered in its causes, but number two, disordered in its proportions. It blows up, no limits. Number three, here we go. It's disordered in its goals. Ordered, if it was ordered, if it was loving anger, it would seek to do a surgical strike against the threat, right? A surgical strike against the threat threat against the anger like um like the word of god says about the word of god it is a double-edged sword that cuts through the where like a scalpel and cuts the sin and cuts the evil out of us right it's surgical in its strike like a like a parent who sees the foolishness or the rebellion in their child and and does a surgical strike against the foolishness or rebellion in their child not against their child as a whole so we it's disordered in its goals loving anger focuses that surgical strike on the problem and not the person on the problem and not the person very quickly uh, Keller gives us three ways in which are levels of disorder. And you can think of this as top-down, like surface to deep. Now, number one, these are your hot buttons. These are the things that make you angry every day. Like, this happens and I, I flare up. Like, these are your hot button issues. You know what they are. That's surface level. Now, underneath that, on a deeper level, is the things that we haven't been able to forgive or forget. That's the stuff. That's our baggage. That's what you hang on to, and it fuels number one, right? It makes those flare up. For instance, if you're, um, if you are a a, a man, uh, a man, and uh, you have been hurt by women in the past, you might be more sensitive to anything a woman says to you. If you're a woman and you've been hurt by a man in the past, you might bring that to every male relationship, right? In the same way. That's baggage, right? That fuels them. Number three, as we go down, this is the deepest, and it fuels number two and number one in phenomenal ways. It's things we've decided we need instead of God. This is huge. This is huge. We need to recognize this. This is root anger, that until we get this identified, until we get this healed, you have no hope of curing number two and number one. This is the root. This is us saying, I need this accomplishment, this job, this health outcome. 
I need this diagnosis. I need this income. I need this success. I need this perfection in this thing or this relationship or this child or this situation. I need, the, I need to have a spouse. I need to have a child. I need to have this, this trouble-free, wound-free existence. And frankly, God, if we're being honest, you haven't delivered it. And if I'm honest, I'm a little ticked about it. I'm a little ticked about it. This is true. At base level, many of us are angry at God for not giving us the life we want. When he has given us himself, and he is life. And if you're in Jesus Christ, he has promised you and guaranteed you eternity with him, enjoying the kind of life you're demanding and expecting from him right now. In fact, like, as I was preparing this and studying this and stuff, we're going to do a whole, like, section, maybe this fall, I don't know. Uh, the, the hugest difference between us as followers of Jesus Christ and, and the people of Scripture and what the Spirit of God is calling us to, one of the hugest differences is we expect all of God's best for our best, living your best life right now. When the message is, you get Him in this broken world, healed and, and to spread healing and to expect brokenness, but Him in the midst of it. Because your payoff is eternity with Him. And we expect He's going to deliver everything, everything, the way we want it, when we want it, or else we're walking away. And He says, you're living in a war zone, not a playground. And I have come to give you my kingdom in the midst of it, in your heart. My friends, every page of this are people whose lives, bodies, and, and fortunes, and hopes other than Christ are being ripped to shreds, and they are abounding in peace and joy and love. Why? Because they know. Because they know that this life is preparation for that one. But you don't get to cash that check. You, say, you know, I, I'm all about walking in faith and extending our faith. But when, when it becomes, I, if I don't get this, God, you're holding out on me, do you not realize that is the first lie that was ever told to our parents? hey, God's got something good for you that he's holding out on you. Eat this. We're still buying it. We're still buying it. When did he not become enough? Look in his face and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. You're just not enough. I need early retirement. You're just not enough. I need this. And frankly, I'm pissed. Whether we're bold enough to admit that, that lives, that lives inside us. This is one of the most... Uh, um, so, what do we do? What do we do? 
I'm lost. You you go off script, that's what happens. What can make us right? We got to get to the happy part. What can make us right? Number one, you got to admit your anger. You got to admit it. It's like any addiction, right? You got to admit it. You got to own it. You got to own up to it. The reality of it, you got to own it and admit it. Unless we do that, here's what happens. In Hebrews, it says, see to it that none of you fails to obtain the grace of God. We don't let the grace of God saturate us, change us. And so the root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. And and Keller says, roots become shoots, become trees, become forests. That's what happens when we let the root of bitterness grow because we don't admit our anger, and it defiles many. It ruins your life. It ruins your spouse's life. It ruins your children's life. It ruins your friend's lives. It ruins your co-workers' lives, your teammates' lives. It infects them too. So we don't only admit it. Number two, we analyze it. We think about it. We dissect it. Here's what we do. Here's what Scripture says. Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. And don't say to yourself, Now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them, right? What is this? This is the angry person talking to themselves, right? They're talking to themselves about why they're angry. Anger is not only about what you've lost. It's what you tell yourself you've lost. What you tell yourself you are protecting. This is uh, one of the most important things. So, so if you've been dozing or like enamored with the donut, I get it. I, I am too. Smell of bacon, it's distracting. Wake up, take a look. We, we're going to do this thing that is going to help us identify our disordered loves, identify our idols. Here it is. When you are angry, when you're feeling it coming on in the midst of it, when you stop, do this. Ask yourself who or what am I defending? Who or what am I defending? This will identify your idols in a hurry. Most often, it is not about what it's about. Underneath, what, who or what am I defending? I had to do this. Most recently, I've had this struggle with anger in my life as it relates to someone who is continues to say negative, bad things about me um, with the uh, object or, or motivation that, that people would have less confidence in me or my work. And I would respond with anger, in anger to this. Oh, it's a long-term thing. And, and sometimes I would express it as anger. Often I would suppress it. I'd push it down, but it would always come out. It would come out in other ways, in other relationships, in other stressors, in other methods, because our souls are not airtight, right? You stuff it, it, you stuff it down, it, it comes out. So I had to ask myself, why was I responding in anger? On the surface, it's because what this person said or what's saying is untrue and wrong, okay? So that's on the surface, but I got to go deeper. On a deeper level, 
I have to ask myself, but I am not this defensive. I am not this angry when everybody else does something wrong or anybody else does something wrong to me. I'm not this angry, not in this way. So there's got to be more to it. So, so deeper still, I have to ask the question, who or what am I defending with this anger that is being threatened? And the answer is me. My ego, my self-esteem is what I'm defending because my reputation with people and how people think of me and wanting people to think well of me is one of my idols. And when somebody attacks one of our idols, we defend it fiercely. Fiercely. So ask yourself, who or what am I defending? The real truth, the bottom line truth is, I am a far worse person. I am a far worse man than this man is accusing me of even though the things, the particular things he's saying are untrue. I am a far worse person than he thinks. And yet, and yet, and this is so important, I am far more loved than I can imagine by God. I am a far worse person than he thinks. And yet, I am far more loved by my friends, that is the truth and the power of the gospel. When I can be supremely humble in Christ, knowing who I am without him, yet supremely secure in his love, then I can be humble and secure in love. And when that happens, when I let that penetrate me, melt me, transform me, change me, then that person and anything they say or do loses its power. My friends, if you and I could understand the gospel, that we are far worse than we feared, yet far more loved right now in Christ, we would be bulletproof. Anger has no place. Not inappropriately. Anger. Lastly, we're going to transform our anger because of the power of the gospel. We could transform our anger. I even look at my wife. Oh, you're in trouble. That's it. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. If it comes at you, you're not going to come back at him except a couple of degrees more. You're not going to uncork a bigger bottle, open up a bigger can, right? If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. This is a Proverbs. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, which is a picture of repentance, not punishment, okay? And the Lord will reward you. What does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus, right? When he spoke this, uh, through the prophets, through Solomon. He, and he spoke this in his life, right? And he speaks it to us now. He says, don't do it. 
Sounds like Jesus. When you experience anger, when you receive anger from somebody else, don't be angry back, but rescue the enemy from the anger. Carefully direct your anger at the problem, not the person. We're going to do a surgical strike. We're not going to do a nuclear holocaust. Right? We're not. No, we're going to go back. When your child gets angry with you, because as a loving parent, you put loving boundaries in their life, and they don't like any boundaries, so they're going to rebel against you, and they get angry, and they're going to yell at you things that should not be repeated, that they will feel bad about. What do you do? You have three choices. One, you can give in to them because you've had too much of this, and you want peace at any price. And you want your child to like you. But then evil wins, does it not? You can fight back, right? You could say, I got bigger guns, right? I'm going to get angry right back. But I'm going to get angry in a way that you don't have a counter. You don't have a card to play, right? And, and you got 20, 30 years of practice on them. You're going to win, right? You, you, you're good at it. But then evil has a chance to infect you as well. Evil wins. Or, or. You can do a surgical strike on the anger and not the child, right? We can get mad at the foolishness and rebellion of our child without anger at the personhood of him or herself. We can come close, draw near, and insist gently but firmly, grace and truth in balance, right? And affirm them even as we absorb their anger without returning it. Surgical strike. Absorb their anger. Grace and truth. Don't return it. Draw close. Gentle but firm. Love. That's what it is. We have to realize, we have to realize, Keller says, what Jesus has done. We have to realize that the, the natives are getting restless. They know we're going wrong. What Jesus has done, and, and that we indeed are angry at God. And there's proof. There's proof. Because when God came, we were angry. We were angry that he came. That when Jesus became killable, what did we do? We killed him. We put our angry hands on him. We rejected him. We pushed him away. We pushed him down. We rejected him. We mocked him. We spit on him. We killed him. We killed him. And, and, and yet he did not repay. He did not shoot back, although he could have. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Does not know, does not pay back. Jesus took not only our undeserved anger from us, he took the deserved anger from God the Father, the cup of God's anger that we deserve. Psalm says this, for in the hand of God, the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine. That's a cup of wrath and anger that we deserve. Well mixed. And he pours out from it. And the wicked of the earth, that's pronounced you and me, shall drain it down to the dregs. That's what we earn. That's what we deserve, the anger from God. But here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus, God in flesh, took the cup of God's wrath that we had earned. He took the cup from our hands before we could even drink from it. And on the cross, Jesus drank it all for us. For all of us. Jesus drank every 
last drop of God's anger toward us. He said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. That was the cup that you and I deserved of God's anger, and he absorbed it. The ultimate love surgical strike. The ultimate loving the sin. Loving the sinner, hating the sin. Right? The ultimate for you. The ultimate for me. And if you and I can let this truth and melt us and infect us in the best sense of the word, transform us. Then we can order our love. We can order our anger. And we can remove its grip. And we can live in the light of the gospel and be set free. Let's pray. Lord, um, we're a mess but we're your mess and, and, and grateful to be so. Lord, as, as, as we're here, we, we confess, Lord, that we have disordered loves and that has led to disordered anger. Lord, at, at baseline, at, at baseline, Lord, we want to come face to face with, um, with our disappointment with and anger at you. Lord, we right now affirm that you are what we need as we sang. You are who we want. Lord, let everything else happen. But Lord, you, you are enough. You are enough. And eternity with you gives me patience and grace to walk through with you anyway. Lord, right now we repent for anger at you all of our anger. Lord, if there be somebody here who does not know you, that, that, that truth of the gospel, of your sacrifice for us, of our complete need and your complete love, if, if that is not at home in their hearts, that they would say yes to you this morning. And Lord, you, you would continue to do a work in us. And Lord, we would be fiercely in love with you, supremely in love with you. And that would translate into everything we think, say, and do. In Jesus' beautiful name.